Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash pro revenge video. Today we've got an awesome revenge story about getting some free gas. But first a story from Mr. Dream Thief. He was a jerk of my ride for 12 and a half hours. Flying back from Tokyo, I was on a full airplane. It's a long flight. I was pissed, but I try to be extra courteous to the people in the seats on either side of me because it's uncomfortable. Usually I opt for a window or aisle seat, but because of a snafu that still hasn't been ironed out, my visas were disapproved sometime after I flew out of the USA and landed in Tokyo, but that's another story. I was one of the last on the plane and worked my way to the back and found my seat, seven rows from the back, in the center seat. A lovely woman from Atlanta on my left and a grumpy old crap from heck on my right. It's a good thing I'm slender because my roommates were rather robust in stature and it would be elbow to elbow. The woman got up and let me in and the gentleman by the window looked at me and said, crap, it's already too crowded, and then turned toward the window and grumbled to himself. I got into my seat and noticed his shoes were where my feet should be. I asked if they were his, noticing that the woman still had hers on. He said they were and turned back to the window. Um, could I get you to move them so I can get comfortable? I didn't want to touch someone else's property, let alone their shoes, because, well, ew. His rotund girth couldn't reach them, so the lady got up so I could move out of his way. He grunted and he fished them out. He slid them under my seat and I said I was going to put something there and he bent down again and finally moved them under his seat, grumbling something incoherent but nothing complimentary, and staring darts at me. I finally sat down and had to ask him to pull my seatbelt from under his backside. He said the F word several times, I believe. It wasn't very comfortable, but I'm former military and two times divorced, and can put up with being uncomfortable for very long periods of time. We're in the air and he keeps knocking my elbow off the armrest. We get food, and he bumps me when I drink, making it look almost accidental. I turn my air on because of the odor, and he turns his on and forces it as best as he can towards me. No, I know I'm smelling clean. I close my eyes after the meal, and he keeps opening and closing the darn window shade. It annoys the crap out of everyone in the area. He keeps adjusting himself in his seat, bumping into me, keeping me from sleeping. It was a continuous 12 and a half hours of him being as discourteous as he could without crossing a line where I say something or begin retaliation, like farting loudly as I bend and stretch my back. The woman and I, she a grandmother to seven, and me expecting my first grandson late this month, had a number of friendly conversations, and I wished her the best as the plane began deboarding. The man, on the other hand, since he was by the window, had to wait for me to get out of the road to get his case. I, on the other hand, was not in a hurry. I had a seven-hour layover and had plenty of time. I allowed the six other rows behind me to get off the plane before me, saying I had to get my backpack from the overhead. The jerk in the window seat said not to me, come on, all freaking ready, in a stage whisper, and I know I didn't hear him. I just kept smiling and letting the back of the plane unload. 
When they were all out, a guy who had seen my backpack grabbed it for me as he was getting his carry-on. Maybe he'd seen what the jerk had had done for 12 hours. I was able to be the second to the last off the plane. He ended up being one of the very last getting off the plane. I almost hit him with my backpack as I swung it on my back. He pushed by me disgruntled once we got on the jetway. He was grumbling about being late. He was already huffing and all I could do was think, it must be tough being a donkey all the time. Be honest, if you flew on a plane and you had this level of experience, would it influence you to pay up for first class the next time you fly a plane? Or is it still just too darn expensive? I'd like to know what you guys think in the comments down below. Our next story is from OK Consideration 242 Her lawyer garnished XW's pay. My ex-wife's lawyer garnished her wages to get back the money she owes in legal fees. The lawyer went after her harder than I ever did, and she didn't even cheat on him. While going through our divorce, my ex-wife's lawyer was constantly screwing up the paperwork. Errors upon errors could be found throughout the pages. Anyone who knows how lawyers work can easily surmise, this jerk is stacking his hours. All in all, it took about 8 drafts and 5 months of phone calls, texts, and emails before our final court hearing date was set, and still the submitted draft to the court had major errors. It's 10 months after the hearing, my ex calls me saying that I need to pay for her legal fees. I reminded her that in the hearing, it was deemed that I did not have to pay any of her fees. Her lawyer put down that she makes $7,200 a month, and I only make $1,300. She doesn't make anything near that much. She told me that her lawyer's charging her $12,000. I just laughed. In Florida, a person's wages can be garnished up to 25% of their salary. A quarter of $7,200 is $1,800, and that's what he's seeking to be paid. Like I stated, she doesn't get paid $7,200 a month, and I have no idea where that number even came from but it was submitted in our divorce papers for some reason, and that jerk wants it. Now any reasonably smart person knows that they can go back to court and show evidence of their actual pay to get the garnished amount lowered, but my ex is worried that people will know how much she actually makes and it might reflect poorly of her. Now I've always known that my ex is a vain and shallow person, but this is beyond moronic. So instead of reducing the amount to something more reasonable, She's suffering out loud and hitting up everyone she knows for money. Ah yeah, cause there's nothing that's going to make somebody respect them even more by going and saying, hey, can you spot me some money for my lawyer's legal fees? That definitely looks like the picture of fiscal responsibility. By the way, if you're enjoying these stories, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily videos. Our next story is from Fresh Avocados 78 I don't think the porch pirates want my packages anymore. This is pretty basic revenge, but I think it's funny enough to share. Porch piracy has been horrible in my neighborhood lately. Basically, if you aren't home to immediately claim your package, it'll be stolen. Nothing's really being done about it by the police, despite there being a lot of proof from various home security cameras. So I took matters into my own hands. I don't have the time or skill to make one of those complex glitter bombs or anything but I wanted to send a message to these people somehow. My solution? Fill the water bottle with pee, tightly pack it into the box so it won't move, and lightly tape the cap on instead of twisting it. That way, as soon as the box is opened, the cap comes off and pee spills everywhere. It's stupid, but effective. And what are the thieves gonna do about it? Tell the police they stole a package that had pee in it? I started doing this earlier this week and after the first two got stolen, 
I'm now able to leave one of these traps front and center on the porch all day without it being stolen. Honestly, I hope to God it was the same person both times. They go and steal it, they're like, ooh, what's this? Crack it open, and all of a sudden the whole floorboard of their car is just reeking. Try a second time, maybe slightly different packaging. Can't be another pee bottle, right? Oh god, there's pee everywhere. Our next story is from an anonymous poster, letting my ex-husband drown in attorney fees. After five years of marriage and endless false promises, I finally get my personal revenge. My ex-husband, 32, and I, 33, got married in 2017 after one year of long-distance relationship between the U.S. and Germany. We sealed the deal, got married in the U.S., and he wanted me to live with him in the good old U.S. of A. because he didn't want to learn another language. To make things easier, he moved in with me in Germany for a job I helped him to get so we would have time to finalize my plans for emigration and immigration. Now, my ex didn't even get to start to gather all required documents for himself to be my sponsor. Said and done, I had all the documents well sorted out, cancelled all my contracts, sold my belongings, sent large parts of my things to the US, and said goodbye to my lovely home, friends, and family. Little did I know, my ex-husband didn't do a single bit of research or even did his part for my immigration process, and I wasn't able to set foot on the plane that would bring me to my new home. Long story short, he left to the US without me, and I was homeless with a suitcase and two cats. He continued to lead me on with promises to come and get me. Meanwhile, he started a polyamorous affair. Later, he got involved with a 21-year-old young lady. I lived with my parents for a few months to get back on my feet, find a new apartment and a new source of income. Now, I never went to German officials to get our marriage recognized in Germany, mostly because I didn't think it was necessary because we planned to live together in the US. But my laziness should be proven to be useful later. Since he was with his new girlfriend, 21, I broke up the relationship. In the US we still counted as married and focused on myself, regaining my independence and rebuilding my life in my home country. I fell in love with an acquaintance, 31, that I've known for 13 years, and we soon found that we have very much the same goals in life, and the very same ideals, and wishes for a monogamous life. Meanwhile, I've been in contact with my ex to finally get him to start the divorce in the US. Since the marriage was closed in the US, only a US citizen is able to petition for the divorce at the district court. I didn't want my name to be further affiliated with him and I also didn't see the reason why he should further profit from tax benefits. I made clear I didn't want this anymore and wanted to move on. Finally he got a process started and forgot one single thing, I'm not an American citizen. So everything that applies in the US when it comes to paperwork doesn't apply to me in Germany, means serving me via email, nope. Wanting me to sign something electronically, nope, not possible. All they would have to do is to send me the notarized, signed, and translated paperwork via physical mail. But they don't. So I get email after email with pleas to get me to sign up to sign the US divorce papers electronically. With every mail his lawyer sends me, his pay ramps up. Don't get me wrong, I certainly told the lawyer what he has to do in order to get me to sign a legally significant piece of paper. But I guess he doesn't know international laws. So at this point, my ex still sits on all of my belongings I asked him to give back, and since he doesn't do that, I'll keep collecting spam mails from his lawyer. That's my personal revenge for leading me on, using my hopeless romantic heart, and leaving me alone when things went hard. 
I don't count as married in Germany and am currently expecting a little baby boy with my partner and we're building a life together without false promises. For some reason, I feel like a lot of people in relationships like this, they tend to hang on a little too long. I think I'm more glad than anything just to see OP give it up when clearly this guy didn't even care enough to get them back to the country with them. The ex-husband didn't put in an iota amount of work trying to figure out how they could get their supposed life partner back in a country with them. Our next story is from Casey Blonde Mom. It's a tumor, is what my husband would say when I was prego. It was a cute inside joke between the two of us. Jumped to me a week overdue, very large, very miserable, and very much over people who knew me and knew better, asking if I was having twins. I ran into an old friend at the grocery store. As we stood chatting, a random woman I didn't know started rubbing my stomach, asking when I was due. I legit looked her in the eye and said, I'm not pregnant. I have a very large tumor and they're finally able to remove it next week. She was shocked and mortified. She stammered out an apology and quickly walked away. My friend thought it was hilarious and hopefully that woman learned something about touching strangers without asking. All I know is is I've heard enough horror stories from people who asked people if they were pregnant when they didn't know and being completely wrong to be conditioned that even if it seems blatantly obvious, unless they say something, just never assume. Otherwise, somehow you will get it wrong and you'll have asked when they're going to have a baby and they're realistically facing the world's worst hernia or something. This next story is from Apprehensive Road 7918. When you don't know the rules and you're an entitled jerk. My mate decided to divorce her violent husband and sue for full child custody after being repeatedly attacked. Then he abandoned the family. He was from a semi-developed country with crap women's equality rights and she was European. He hadn't a clue regarding the legal protocols, but was such an entitled jerk. He thought he could turn up at court without a solicitor, tell the judge his wife was insane and a terrible mother, and the judge would side with him. He was so wrong. Long story short, mate got full custody and a divorce. She did have to pay him out 10,000 British pounds from the house sale. One day, she gets a call from the ex's solicitor saying that the ex is saying he can't pay them because mate hasn't given them the settlement yet. So, mate sends the solicitor a copy of her bank statement to show that she had paid. She claims full child support from ex and is told his wage is so low that he only has to give her 20 pounds a month. Three months after the divorce, she hears through the grapevine that he's trying to arrange a new marriage. The immigration rules are that the person applying for a spousal visa must have a very good wage to support the new wife or the visa is denied. So, Maid quickly reapplies for spousal support, knowing X has submitted his real wage so he can get a new wife over. Her child support increased to 500 pounds per month. He texts her a demand they work the money out between themselves. She tells him to jog on. That's so rich that this guy is going to go and be an awful partner, an awful father, and then say, come on, we don't need to keep this on the books. Let's just work it out like people that had a functioning relationship and ended things on good terms. I tell him to jog on too, and jog on is a very polite way to put it. Our next story is from Techno Grind, but I didn't retire. My friend... 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. I'll call her Sandy. Worked at a travel agency in British Columbia, Canada. It was a small owner-operated business with the owner and three employees, including my friend. Everyone worked Monday to Friday from 9am to 5pm. One of my friend's co-workers, I'll call her Jane, an older woman in her early to mid-60s, was a long-time nuisance employee. Among other sketchy behavior, Jane was always scamming ways to take time off over and above her official paid vacation time. In order to make up for the lost hours, she would claim overtime hours or pay by supposedly going into the office in her off hours to finish up work without being requested by the owner to do so. Despite being caught in her own lies on a number of occasions and being warned about trying to claim for unsanctioned overtime, the owner of the travel agency was reluctant to officially reprimand Jane or get rid of her. The reason being is the owner discovered that after she had hired Jane, Jane had actually been fired from her previous job at another local agency for pulling the same stunts. However, Jane had sued her former employer for unfair dismissal and had won a settlement. After a few years of my friend Sandy working at the travel agency, the owner was ready to retire and offered to sell the business to my friend. Sandy took her up on the deal and took over the business while keeping on Jane and the other employee. Once again, just as the previous owner was afraid to get rid of Jane, so was Sandy for fear of being sued. When Sandy took over the business, she instituted guidelines regarding taking time off and she established an official no overtime policy. Jane would still try with her shenanigans but was far less successful in getting what she wanted with my friend in charge. However, Jane still had one trick up her sleeve when she wanted to take time off on a whim. Sandy was a divorced single mom of two boys who were heavily involved in youth hockey. She would sometimes leave the office an hour or two before closing to get her boys to hockey practice or a game. In order to avoid requesting in person and potentially being denied, Jane would wait for Sandy to be out of the office to book a day off if she didn't feel like coming into work or had made plans. Sandy would then arrive at work the next morning only to discover that Jane wasn't coming in. Despite this happening a number of times, Sandy would usually let it slide since there was now a definite no overtime policy. Therefore, Jane could no longer claim to come into work on the weekend or after hours in order to try and make up for the day off. She would either miss out on a day's pay, in turn saving Sandy money as the owner, or it would come out of her remaining paid vacation days. 
Moreover, two people in the office at one time could usually handle everything. Jane not coming in was really a no-loss situation for Sandy. There was one time, however, when Sandy was going to be away for one or two work days just before the weekend to take her boys to a hockey tournament. She told Jane and the other employee, both verbally and in writing, that they could not book time off for the dates in question since she would be away and needed both of them in the office. Within a few days of giving this notice, Sandy went into the office on a Saturday to do some paperwork and go through the sales for the week. This is when she discovered that, only the day before, Jane had booked a trip for her daughter and son-in-law to Las Vegas, as well as a plane ticket in her name to Calgary where her daughter lived. Both the trip to Vegas and the ticket to Calgary coincided with the dates Sandy would be out of the office. Sandy then checked the vacation booking schedule to further discover that Jane had indeed booked the days off that she had expressly been told she couldn't have. Not mentioning that she discovered the travel Jane had booked for herself and her daughter, Sandy emailed Jane telling her that she would have to deny her the days off since she had already been told they were unavailable because she, Sandy, would be away and needed Jane in the office. Through a continued series of email exchanges, Jane replied and outright lied to Sandy with some excuse about her daughter getting some long-awaited medical treatment or surgery and she needed to go to Calgary to help out for a few days and look after her granddaughter. Sandy replied to this lie by telling Jane she knew about the trip she had booked to Vegas for her daughter and son-in-law, that Jane's trip to Calgary was most likely to babysit her granddaughter while her daughter was in Vegas, and that she would have to deny Jane the days off especially since she booked them after being told they were unavailable. Jane countered in her subsequent reply, without even addressing the fact that she'd been caught in a lie, that she'd been a dedicated employee of the travel agency for several years, and couldn't understand why she was being treated so unfairly after all she had done for the business. She then wrote that since she wasn't being treated as a valued employee, she had no choice but to retire and was giving her two weeks notice. Despite Jane's threat, Sandy replied that she would still be unable to grant her the days off and left it at that without making any mention of Jane's threat to quit or retire. Sandy then contacted her accountant, who also acted as her de facto business advisor, and explained what had happened with Jane. Also aware of Jane's previous shenanigans, Sandy's accountant told her that this was the out she had been looking for with Jane, and she had it all in writing. He told her that Jane had essentially resigned or retired, and all Sandy needed to do was honor Jane's desire to do so. Let her finish out her two weeks, or pay her two weeks' wage in lieu with no further severance pay legally required since she hadn't been fired. The following Monday, Sandy went into the office early accompanied by her long-term boyfriend to act as a witness. She put Jane's belongings from her desk into a box and took the things that were property of the business. Since Jane was old school and resisted inputting client information in the computer database, this also included a small box filled with index cards, which had client phone numbers, addresses, credit card information, and other personal information noted on them. In the meantime, the other employee had arrived for work, and they all waited for Jane to show up. Jane arrived just before 9 o'clock, acting as though nothing had happened, and greeted everyone with a good morning as she walked through the door. However, she was apparently taken aback slightly when she noticed Sandy's boyfriend seated in the far corner of the office. At this point, Jane was midway to her desk when Sandy informed her that there was no need to go any further and that she had accepted Jane's notification of retirement. 
She then handed Jane a check, compensating her for the hours she had worked in the current pay period, as well as two weeks' wage in lieu of Jane finishing out her final two weeks before her retirement. Jane was dumbfounded and went into panic mode. But I didn't retire, I'm not ready to retire. Sandy responded that indeed she had retired, given her notice and had proof of it in writing. All Jane could do was continue repeating, but I didn't retire, I'm not ready to retire, while unsuccessfully attempting to get the support of the other employee who refused to come to her defense. Sandy then pointed to the box containing Jane's belongings, wished her a happy retirement, and told her to leave the office. Jane quickly rifled through the box and noticed that the small box containing the index cards with client information was not there. She insisted that Sandy return it to her, which Sandy refused to do, explaining that it was property of the business, contained personal client information, and that she would be in violation of Canadian privacy laws if she were to let Jane take it. Jane's shock had now turned to obstinance and she refused to leave without the box. Both the other employee and Sandy's boyfriend had started to get involved, repeatedly telling Jane to just leave. Sandy then informed Jane that if she didn't leave, they would have to call the RCMP, Canadian Police. At which point, Sandy's boyfriend dialed 911 to inform the dispatcher of a disgruntled former employee at XYZ Travel Agency who was refusing to leave the premises. Within a few minutes, two police officers arrived and Jane immediately ran to the door, ranting about being fired and about missing the box of client info. In order to de-escalate the situation, one police officer told Jane to come outside and explain to him her side of the story. The other officer remained in the office to hear Sandy's side of the story, agreeing that Jane was not legally entitled to the box of client info. The other officer then re-entered the business and told Jane to wait outside. He said that Jane was insisting that Sandy was holding on to her personal belongings, namely a box of important information. Both Sandy and the officer who had spoken to her explained the contents of the box to the other officer, who in turn agreed that it was not Jane's property. The police officers then picked up the larger box of Jane's personal belongings, took it outside to Jane, and told her she needed to go home. To rub salt in Jane's wounds, the next day, Sandy put up a large sign in the window of the business congratulating Jane on her retirement, and even put a small announcement in the local newspaper doing the same thing. The icing on this piece of revenge cake was Sandy when filling out the necessary government forms for when an employee quits or gets fired or retires, made sure to check the box labeled retired for the reason Jane was no longer being employed. By doing so, Jane was ineligible to collect unemployment insurance benefits. You know, all this drama involving Jane and this box of client info sure reminds me of some other drama I've been hearing a lot about recently. Needless to say, I guess it's no big surprise when Jane surprisingly unretires and rejoins the workforce after so quickly making a retirement decision. And our final story of the day is from Affectionate Gold84. Want some free gas? I got you, bro. So several years ago, my friend, we'll call him Boris, and I would always help each other do the spring cleanup for our properties. This included taking out damaged trees, preparing garden plots, and taking care of our weed-infested yards. I was going to be the first on cleanup detail, so I prepared tools and implements the Friday before the big cleanup was to happen. Sharpening tools and chainsaw chains, lawnmower blade, and just getting everything in order. Among those tasks was mixing head with two-cycle oil. 
finished up kind of late and generally put things away for the next day. The next morning, Boris shows up with coffee and biscuits around 8am. As we were sitting on his tailgate enjoying breakfast, my neighbors ride up in their beat-to-heck Chevy Cavalier smoking like a freight train. We'll call them Rocky and Bullwinkle. Boris and I make the usual jokes about the amount of smoke pouring from the exhaust. Darn, bet they go to the gas station and fill up with oil and check the gas. We soon finished breakfast and thought no more about it. As we begin to get the tools laid out and had a plan of attack, I cannot find my gas cans. No mixed gas, regular gas, or a gas can in general. That's when it dawned on us why the car Rocky and Bullwinkle were driving was smoking so bad. I'm pissed to say the least. Well, all Boris and I could do was go shopping for gas cans, gas, and more two-cycle oil. After we returned, we saw Rocky and Bullwinkle pass by several times. But all in all, we got a lot done. The next weekend, we dedicated to clean up at Boris's. A weekend or two go by, a weekend or two go by, and we have a family dinner at my wife's, Rocky and Bullwinkle's grandparents. Towards the latter part of the evening, we were having a few drinks. Most people had left, and myself and my wife's grandfather were shooting the breeze when I had to take a leak. As I was doing so, I saw a gas can with very distinct paint on it. I inquired from the old man about how it came into his possession, and he stated Rocky and Bullwinkle left it there. I simply explained it was mine, as was another, and loaded them in my truck. It ate at me every time that piece of crap car with my post neighbors went by. So I hatched a plan from a rotten egg. I went and bought a few gallons of gas a few gallons of diesel fuel and some other various oils. I made a concoction of these different chemicals and filled my new 6 gallon gas can I had to purchase. With some clean gas I filled the lawnmower and cut some grass that evening making sure Rocky and Bullwinkle saw me. Then I put everything away but forgot and left that rotten egg gas can out. I got up and went to work the next morning and didn't even think to check on that can but when I got home I checked and it was gone. My wife informed me that my plan must have worked as she watched Rocky and Bullwinkle go in and out with the car, not only smoking, but spitting and sputtering as well. The last time they rode out, they didn't ride back in. Hmm. They gave me about an hour of peace before they came over and wanted to know if I could look at the car and see what was wrong. If it could not be fixed on the side of the road, maybe tow it home. My response? I've had a long day and have a migraine, maybe tomorrow. I saw the panic set in when I told them that. That's when they told me they had no insurance and it was on a main road. Tough luck. So the highway patrol did run across it and had it towed. It was going to cost them around $500 to get it out of impound, plus they had to have current registration and insurance. Car wasn't worth it. Well, there are those type of people that good luck just falls on them, and the pastor for a local church gave them an old Ford Taurus. Took me a few cans of rotten egg gas, but I got the motor to lock up after about a month. This time it quit in their grandparents' yard, so they scrapped it, and as luck would have it, they got their income tax returns. They bought a nice-looking Ford F-150, but it began having problems too. Smoked really bad. They did take it to a mechanic that eventually found the problem. He got the truck running right again for about $1,500, and I've never had any more gas come up missing. Thanks for reading. If this goes and damages multiple vehicles that they run through, is OP a bad person? 
or is this completely justified considering they continue to try to steal gas from OP? Not only do they continue to try to steal gas from OP, but they're stupid in not realizing that it's tainted and that's what's causing these cars to blow up on them. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, click on that left video. Or if you missed my latest video, check out the one on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.